you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to open to the Gospel of Matthew. Near the end, chapter 25, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's about three quarters of the way through your Bible. The main text we will be looking at is Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. We will also look briefly at two other verses, one in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, and one in Peter's first letter, chapter 4 and verse 9. But please give attention to the reading of God's Word. The Word of the Lord is completely without error. The Word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the Word of the Lord is completely sufficient. Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers... You did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And now from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And then finally, 1 Peter 4, verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, Lord, we ask that you would take your word and that you would cause it to take deep root into our hearts. Lord, let us not be hearers of the word only, but doers. Have our lives, our wills, our minds even changed by the great truth of your word. This we ask in the name above all names, the name of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. This is the fourth in our series about what it means to be a covenant community. We've looked at various aspects of the community of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are to be humble, that we are to be loving, that we are to be forgiving. This morning we're going to look at something that's a very practical manifestation of this. That as a covenant community we are called to be hospitable. And so this is especially important for us to look at today because hospitality is something that is missing in our society in general. Now, I don't mean that the word is never used. You will hear it used oftentimes to refer to the hotel industry or perhaps to a a college degree that you can obtain to allow you to work in certain industries. Perhaps the closest it comes to the biblical definition is that for many of us, hospitality is encompassed by the dinner party. But the biblical nature of hospitality is so much more far-reaching than this. It is a sign of what it means to be a community that follows the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a sign of how Jesus is building His church and His community. And so this morning, I would like us to look at and answer three questions about hospitality from our texts. First, what is hospitality? What does the Bible mean when it uses that term? Second, how should I be hospitable? If we understand what hospitality is, how do I go about doing it? And then third... Why should I be hospitable? In today's day and age when we are all run ragged and we are busy beyond all measure, it helps us to understand the imperative of why we are called by the Lord to be hospitable. Well, Let's begin then though with our first question. What is hospitality? Jesus strikes at the heart of this in this passage from Matthew 25. He gives us a description of what it means to be a Christian and how we are to be outward focused and looking at the needs of others. Because that is the very first thing we must understand about hospitality. Hospitality is providing for needs. You see this as Jesus speaks of those who are hungry and thirsty and naked and strangers and sick and in prison. Hospitality is providing for those needs. Now, this is a real challenge for us in our modern society because our society makes great profession 
about not acknowledging the need for help. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's hard to provide for someone's needs when as a society we are trained not to ask for help, not even to acknowledge that we need help. Because after all, the minute we say we need help, that's a sign of weakness, isn't it? That's a sign of weakness that allows others to take advantage of us. You could just imagine the scenario. If you were going off to purchase a new car, and you walked into the showroom, and the salesman walked up to you and he said, Can I help you? And you said, You sure can. I don't know anything about cars, or anything about cost, or anything about packages. Could you just explain to me everything I need to know about buying a car? Now when he's done licking his lips and making sure no other salespeople are within earshot. You can imagine what happens there. Someone takes advantage of you. It's the reason why when we do activities, we pretend we know how to do them, even if they're the first time that we've undertaken them. We don't want to show that we are weak or without knowledge. This makes hospitality difficult in this environment. But it's not just out in the world. It's not just the car dealerships and various places. Acknowledging our need is something that is a real challenge in the church itself. You know the scenario. Someone walks up and says, how are you? And you answer, I'm fine. Is there anything that I can help you with? No, I'm okay. I've got this. I can take care of it. We don't want others to know that we have needs, that we're weak. Even in the church, we want them to think that we are some kind of great, magnificent follower of Jesus who doesn't need any help any of the time. But the truth is, is that that's just really bad theology. Because you see, when we fail to acknowledge that we have needs, we fail to acknowledge our need of God. That is, after all, exactly what the gospel is about. The core of the gospel is, I am needy and I don't have the solution. I need help. I need the Lord to come down. I need Jesus to redeem me. I need Jesus to bring around me others to encourage me along the way. And so when we use platitudes like, I've got this, I don't need any help, We are denying the truth of God's word that we profess with our lips that we need God. We're also especially, as Reformed Presbyterians, using bad theology. Because we are denying that God is sovereign. Because you see, God is the one who puts us to rise or to fall, to abound or to lack, to be sick or in health. It does not come from our obedience. It does not come from our planning. It comes from the very hand of God. Now, have you ever wondered why God allows us at times to be poor or sick or needy? You see, if you believe the people on the television, they will tell you it's all about your faith in Jesus. And if you just have enough faith in Jesus, your life will be perfect. Everywhere you drive, there will be rainbows, and people will throw cash at you and give you new cars. If you spend any time following Jesus, you know the lie that that is. 
You may have kept silent about it because you were afraid to speak, but you know that's not how life works. Life is hard. Why is this? Well, look at it this way. God grows us up into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He does this through the power of the Holy Spirit, working gifts in us that we might minister to others and have opportunity to show the love of Christ, the kindness of Christ, the patience of Christ, all of the fruit of the Spirit. How would we be able to do that if no one ever was in need? You see, you may not have thought about it this way, but God may have permitted you to be sick to allow the rest of the church body to grow. He may be keeping you from financial security so that others have an opportunity to exercise their gifts and to grow in Christ. And He has done the same for others that you might minister to them. We have to understand that hospitality is providing for needs. Now, Jesus gives us a hint at what some of these needs are. The very first thing that comes to our mind, and it comes to our mind first because, quite frankly, it's the easiest to get our arms around, are physical needs. Because this is the very first area that people notice they have a need. It's hard to not know you have a need when you open the refrigerator and there's no food there. It's hard to realize you don't have the right kind of clothing or your roof leaks. It's hard to ignore these things. And so it's the very first area in which we realize we have a need, and it is also the easiest point of entry into the world of hospitality. It's very practical, and it doesn't require much of us. It's easy to make someone a meal and take it over to them because they have a need, isn't it? Oftentimes, you're making a meal anyway. You simply double the recipe and and take some over. You don't need to memorize a chapter of the Bible before you do it. You don't need to have the person fill out a questionnaire with all of their deepest desires and longings and dreams before you do it. It's something you can do right away. Someone can call you and five minutes later you're making a meal and it's on its way. And you know it will be a blessing to others. This is very practical. We do this here at Christ Church. This is an area of hospitality that we excel in. When someone has a child, or there's a death in the family, or there's some sort of illness, our congregation rallies around and makes meals and brings them to them. This is the way that we can meet a need, and it is being hospitable to others. But there are other types of needs that we need to meet also. The next level, as it were, would be emotional needs. We see this in Matthew 25 at the second half of verse 35. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Have you ever been a stranger somewhere? New in a town, starting a new school, in a new classroom? You're nervous. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. Some of us can be so frightened of this that we can even be a basket case. This is the next level of need that is involved, is an emotional need. And this is also very scary for providing hospitality. Because if making a meal is easy, trying to help someone emotionally is often not. 
Again, we don't know what to say. We don't know what will make the situation better. We want to solve the problem, but it's beyond our solving. You see, when someone is in grief because of the death of a loved one, we can't make that person come back to life and make it all better again. You can't provide a substitute for that person. All we can do is come alongside them. Now, I want to encourage you that this kind of hospitality is simply making someone feel loved, acknowledging their presence. This is what Jesus means when he says, you welcomed me. He doesn't say, you gave me citizenship, you solved all my problems. He says, you welcomed me. Oftentimes, the best way to meet someone's emotional need is to realize that we cannot solve all their problems. It requires us simply to go alongside them. Not to speak answers that we think will solve everything, but to give them a shoulder to cry on, to give them a listening ear, to provide opportunities for them to know that they are valued and loved and wanted. This is far too often missing from our society today. We want to solve problems with cliches, with quick fixes. We don't want to do the hard work of coming alongside our family, our friends, and our neighbors, and simply loving them and letting them know they are valued. That is the great difference between the church of Jesus Christ and the world. The church is a place where it should be safe for you to sit next to someone and simply comfort them. To encourage them in the Lord. You don't need all the answers. Often you just need to be there. There's a third level, as it were, as well. And those are relational needs. We see this in verse 36. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now, do you notice what Jesus doesn't say here? He doesn't say, I was sick and you healed me. He doesn't say, I was in prison and you freed me. What does he say? He says, you visited me. You showed that you cared for me. That you wanted your life to be a part of mine. This is the relationships that we all need. And when we are ill, or when we are in prison, or when we are alone, we feel like we are cut off from all of society. And that's depressing, isn't it? It's discouraging. We don't want to work, we don't want to eat, we don't want to sleep, we don't know what to do, because we feel like we have no value and we are cut off. And what Jesus says here is, we need to meet the needs of others by entering into relationship with them. Now this is especially important in our modern society. Because if I were to ask for a show of hands of how many of you here this morning live within 15 minutes driving distance of your extended family, there would be very, very few of you that would raise your hands. For many of us, we need to get on an airplane to see our parents or our siblings or our children That's just the nature of the modern world. In the days of the Old Testament, you could walk five minutes to the rest of your family. Most of your family lived in the same building you did. But think about today. We are cut off from the natural bonds that God has given to us. 
Not through any fault of our own, not through any grand conspiracy, but just simply because of the modern, mobile nature of our society. The distance and the breakdown of the family bond makes the relationships we forge all the more important. It's why it's all the more important for the church of Jesus Christ to be a covenant community. Because oftentimes, it's the only community we have. Perhaps your experience is like my family's. We, my wife and I, were married in the summer of 1996. I'd graduated from law school and was starting a new job, and we moved to a new city where we knew exactly one couple. It was the parents of someone my wife went to school with. What could we do? How would we know which dentist to choose? Which car shop was reputable? Where the best stores were? where things were for children, where we could go out to eat, things that were important for culture in that city. We found all of those things in the church. And so you see, when we move, the very first thing we do is we find a church and we join a church because that becomes our community, it becomes our family. Because in God's providence, our parents live multiple hour plane rides away. And so it's a necessity to find community with the people of God. This is more and more the norm now. It is not the exception. And so if you are looking for that kind of community, those kind of relationships, you must not only be willing to get, you must be willing to give. You must be willing to meet these needs. There's a second aspect to hospitality, and that is providing encouragement. We've talked in weeks past, about a sign of community being love and being humility. I like to think of hospitality as kind of a practical combination of both of these things, of love and humility. You see, we begin by thinking about others, and then we put ourselves second when we are hospitable to others. You know, even something as simple as providing a meal. You know the rule of providing a meal to someone, don't you? When you invite them into your home, who gets served last? You do. If you run out, who goes hungry? You do. You think of your guests first. You think of those who you are serving first. This is the mentality that we must have not just with dinners, but with our lives. To think of others first. This is again what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 25. He is saying to those who are his followers, you are marked by looking out for others, by going out of your way for others. Let me tell you, it is not joyous fun to go and visit in prisons. It's not a lot of fun to go visit in hospitals. The parking alone is a nightmare. This is not something people do for a hobby. They don't give away clothing to others just because it helps them. This is something that we do to think of others first, to go beyond ourselves, to follow after Jesus and the way He lived and He commands us. This is the way that we are different from the world. Because in the world, it's how can I get to the front of the line? How can I cut? How can I find a shortcut? Is there something free? How can I get it? And if I have to punch you to get it so you don't get it, I'll go ahead and do it. If you don't believe me, go watch YouTube videos of Black Friday. 
The church is a place where we put others first. And you see, this is where you are involved in building community. Community is not something that you can legislate. You are not going to hear me as the pastor tell you, go home this week and be a loving community. Do it. Because I've ordered it. Even if I used my best Yul Brynner voice, so let it be written, so let it be done. It still would not happen simply because of a legislation. The government cannot legislate community. It is something that requires work and effort. It is not something that will happen by itself. You cannot just simply throw a bunch of people together and expect randomly community to spring up. No, it begins with hard work by showing others that they have worth and value. And it must begin with initiative on our parts. Because if we are honest with ourselves, if we ask ourselves or anyone else, do you want community, the answer will always be yes. How can we get community? Well, I don't know. No one invites me into their home. Well, I'm not sure. No one has offered to do this for me. You see, we want community to come to us. We don't want to be the ones to start the chain. Now, I don't think primarily what's at work here is selfishness. I don't think it's that we want others to cater to us. That would be an easy out. It would be an easy sin to see and repent of. I think rather it's the sin of fear. We want others to invite us because then that lets us know it's safe. We're liked. We're in. Or they wouldn't have asked us. But for us to go out of our way and invite others into our lives to provide for others requires us to go out of our comfort zone. To be potentially turned down. To be given an odd look. To be told, no, I have something better to do. You see, we are afraid to initiate here. But that's where community begins. You must take the first step. You cannot wait for someone else to do it. If you want to see community built, you must be a builder. You must put on your hard hat, pick up your trowel, and begin to lay block. One day at a time, one relationship at a time. So practically, let me ask you this question. How can you do that this week? How can you practically begin to build community for yourself this week? Will you invite someone into your home for a meal? Will you have them over for an evening? Will you get your children together? Will you meet them out somewhere? Will you want to get together and read a book together? Go to a movie together? Do things together? Will you take the risks that are necessary for the necessity of community? This is what it means to be hospitable. The second question we have before us is, how should I be hospitable? How do I go about doing this if I'm to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, Peter tells us some very good advice. It's short, it's sweet, it's direct. Peter had to be a pastor. There's no beating around the bush here. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. There's two things there. The first is a command. He doesn't say, if you feel like it, you might want to consider. He says, show hospitality. And then there's no excuses. 
Don't grumble about it. Grumbling is a horrible sin in the Bible. It is the sin of the Israelites as they were leaving Egypt. And grumbling in both the Hebrew and in the Greek, the language, even the word itself, tells you this is a really bad thing. To grumble in Greek is gunga. I mean, it just sounds bad. What? But you see, the word comes from what you experience. That's how people grumble, don't they? Miserable. Right? And so what Peter is telling us is, it doesn't help you to say, all right, the pastor told me I have to show hospitality. I'm going to check this box. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm going to let everybody know I'm miserable about it. Right? You see, it's not being hospitable to invite someone into your home And the only way you are willing to do so is if the home is clean from top to bottom. And if the fine china is put out. You can't possibly be hospitable without fine china. And then, of course, what is necessary is good and fine food like steak. And you bring someone into your home and then you say, you know, we're glad you could be here. I'm exhausted. You have no idea how long it took to clean this house. And, you know, please be careful with the plates, especially your kids there. They chip easily. They're they're heirlooms and they're very expensive. And I hope you enjoy the steak. Steak isn't cheap. Now, what would you feel like if someone invited you into their home like that? Now, I am not telling you not to clean your home. I'm not telling you not to use nice dishes. I'm not telling you you can't serve steak, especially if you invite the pastor. But what I am saying is these things are not prerequisites to hospitality. And when we make them prerequisites, we begin to begrudge the fact that we're actually being hospitable and we're defeating the purpose. You would be better off having someone come into your home with toys all over the room and serving them mac and cheese with a heart of love than to make them feel miserable with every bite of sirloin they take. You see, Peter gives us no option here. He says, we're not to undermine our our hospitality with our attitude. Because hospitality is a concrete expression of love. And we are to be hospitable even in the absence of feelings, as we commit to one another in community. You already know what that's like. You stay in your families even when you make each other miserable at times, right? Right? You don't wake up in the morning and say, you know, I don't feel like I'm at the apex of love. I might have to get divorced. You don't say, you know, I don't feel flush with joy with my children. I guess they'll go out on the street. No. You work through those feelings because of the commitment that stands behind them. And that commitment is what allows those feelings to flourish in our hearts. This is what hospitality is like. We don't wait to feel hospitable. We need to get off the dime and be involved in people's lives. And then the feelings will flow from that. This is a critical nature. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 13, that we are to seek to show hospitality. We are to be eager. We are to pursue after it like we are pursuing a criminal. We should be active in looking for opportunities open our hearts, open our lives, and open our homes to each other. There's a second way in which we should be hospitable. 
And that is without partiality. Now, you'll notice in the Matthew 25 passage, the people who were hospitable didn't even know who they were being hospitable to. They said, it wasn't you, Jesus. It's not like we were going out of our way for you. We just saw others in need. And you see, this is important to true hospitality because it fights our normal center of gravity in our lives. Because if we're honest with ourselves, our center of gravity is around people that we know, that we like, and that are familiar to us. When we have a meal, we want to sit with the people that we know best. When we're involved in an activity, we want the people that we know best to be with us. Now, it is not wrong to start there. But I think there is a problem if we always end there. If there's never any room for someone new, if there's never any place in our heart for the stranger, for the newcomer, for the one who is lonely. And you see, this is another reason why hospitality is so important and is such a sign of being a follower of Christ, is that it takes us out of our comfort zone. We have to go out of our way to show hospitality to others who are unlike us and who cannot repay us in kind. That's the whole point of what Jesus is saying. He tells us to focus on the action of hospitality, not on the person of hospitality. Thirdly, we come to this final important question. Why should I be hospitable? And there should be a reason more than the pastor told me to. Or even than the Bible tells me to. Those are both good motivators, don't get me wrong. But there should be something that is in our heart that drives us to hospitality. And first and foremost is an understanding we must have that there are people in need. There are the marginalized in society. And some of those people in need are wealthy in terms of goods. But they are needy because they're ostracized, they're isolated, they're depressed. And we're not in a position to be prejudging who is worthy of our hospitality. We need to be hospitable because God has placed in our life's path people who have a need. And our response as followers of Jesus is to meet that need. It's how you become more and more like Jesus. Do you remember the Bible passage where somebody came up to Jesus and asked him for something and he said, get away from me, you're bothering me, I'm busy? No, I don't remember that passage either because it never happens. And they come up to him of all kinds, lepers and sick, young and old, men and women, rich and poor. And Jesus always has time for them. I'm going to give you a newsflash. You are not busier or more important than Jesus. Jesus was working the salvation of his people and the redemption of the universe. No job you have is that important. You can make time. If Jesus can make time, we as his followers can take time. This is how the church makes a difference. The church has been doing this following Jesus for many, 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 many years. Do you know what people did before the church invented the hospital? They got sick and they died. Do you know what people did before the church invented the university? They were unable to read and write. 
You see, the church has always been the place where people look outside of themselves and outside of their comfort zone and seek to be a blessing to others. The church of Jesus Christ can make a difference in America today. The second and final reason why we should be hospitable is perhaps even more important than that there are people in need. And that is that it is a sign of the work of Jesus. Jesus is giving you opportunities today to serve Him. To use the gifts that He has given to you. Will you take advantage of it? You see, because that's a sign of Christian maturity. You know, we think of all of the other signs of Christian maturity. How well we know our Bible. How often we pray. Do you realize that you cannot be an elder in Christ's church unless you are hospitable? Do you realize that the example that Paul holds up in 1 Timothy 5 of the mature woman in Christ is that she is hospitable? You see, it's the work of Jesus in our lives as well as in the lives of others. Now the wonderful thing is this does not take a special gift to be hospitable. You don't need to memorize scores of Bible verses. You don't need to have a great speaking voice or presence. You don't need to know how to play a musical instrument. You just simply have to be willing to open up your heart and your life to others. And this is valuable in the kingdom. Jesus uses the illustration of hospitality to tell us what it means to inherit eternal life. It's important to Jesus. It should be important to us. Jesus is giving us an opportunity to reach out to others. Evangelism is difficult, isn't it? It's scary, isn't it? You know, you can begin with hospitality. You don't have to begin with a lecture on theology. You don't have to begin with the Romans road. You can begin with, hey, could you meet me for coffee and we could just talk about our kids? Hey, why don't you come over to our home? We're about to watch this football game. We'd love to have you over and have some chips and drinks. It's sharing our lives with others. The vast majority of people who are converted to Christ report that it was through relationships and friendships that they came to know the Lord, not through a cold call recitation of Bible verses. Jesus calls us to reach out. And when we do, you never know what will happen. Hebrews tells us that when some entertain strangers, they entertained angels. Having someone in your home, you don't know. Maybe it'll be an angel. Or maybe it'll be someone who needs Jesus. Or maybe it'll be someone who's hurting. Or maybe it'll be someone who your life experience is exactly what they need to hear from. You don't know unless you reach out. And lastly, Jesus is giving us an opportunity to build community because it is Jesus who is building His church. He is giving to us the blessing of involvement. And this is a very practical, immediate way that you can be involved in the church of Jesus Christ. The Christian community is outward facing. This is nowhere more obvious today than in hospitality. This week, Serve your Lord. Help others. Build up the community. Show hospitality one to another in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, we thank you for the story from Matthew 25 that describes to us how important you take hospitality. Lord, we ask that you would bring it to our minds and our hearts frequently. That you would hound us, as it were, to share our lives with others. This we ask in the name above all names, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.